Thanks for tuning in to the teaching ministry of Mike Hilson, Senior Pastor of New Life Wesleyan Church of La Plata, Maryland. It's a church that plants churches and Where You Are Church, an online church helping people reconnect with God through practical content and a growing community. Hey, we're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this week's message. We hope that this teaching helps you love God and love people better every day. And if you enjoy what you hear today, consider sharing it with someone else. Now enjoy today's teaching. So today we're looking into our third in this sermon series called What I Know So Far. And what we've talked about so far is that God is always first. Uh, we, we talked about in the beginning God. He's always first, not because he demands it. He just is always first. He's always the primary being. He was before anything else was. He will be when nothing else is. And so God always has. God always, God always has been. God always will be. And God is right now. He is in our present. And so the idea that God takes first place in our life is just natural. He is the primary relationship each of us have because it's internal. He's spiritually inside of us. So the constant conversation inside of our minds is our conversation with God. And so God is our primary relationship. However, we are not, it's not enough for us to simply have that primary relationship with God. We also need to be in community. We were created to be in community. The most basic and fundamental form of that community is the family unit, and the center of the family unit is a marriage bond, one man, one woman, in, in the bond of marriage. And, and that family then becomes the central unit of all of society and becomes our, our tightest, closest community. And, and we are made better. We're made stronger. We're, we're, it, we are built to be in community. Now, if it is as simple as a relationship with God and a good relationship with people, then the question becomes, why is the world so jacked up? Why is the world so messed up? Because I don't, look, I, I wouldn't have to go very far and I wouldn't get much of a debate out of you to have all of you to say, yes, the world is messed up. Society is unstable. The world is, the world seems to be spinning out of control at times and bad things happen to the wrong people and good things happen to the wrong people. And the world just seems to be a mess. And, and we can come up with all kinds of things to do to try to fix that. We could say that the world is a mess because people are been Poverty, and if we would have a better system of handling finance and money and resources, then we wouldn't have as many problems because people are in poverty. We could say that education is the issue. If everybody was educated, there would not be as many problems. We could say that if we could get rid of one thing like racism or like domestic abuse or, or, or you know, greed, if we could, we, we, we can think of myriad ways that we ought to be able to fix this. In fact, can I be honest? Society spends all kinds of time trying to cure social ills. They come up with ways to feed more people, to educate more people, to let more people go, to, to put more people incarceration, in incarceration. They come up with all kinds of different answers, and they seem to be all over the place about it. And yet, things don't seem to be getting better. And I got to tell you, the reason is because our culture and most cultures around the planet right at the moment have rejected the core problem that exists inside of human culture and human uh, civilization. That core problem is a, is a word called sin. 
Now, the word sin basically defined means a willful transgression of a known law of God. In other words, I willfully break something that I know God told me not to do, or I willfully refuse to do something that I know God called me to do. And, and basically, sin is violating what God has called us to do. And, and I have to tell you, it's a pretty simple little idea, but it is at the root of all of our problems. And by the way, sin has not changed a lot over the years. I realize society's gotten more advanced and, and technology has gotten advanced and society's gotten more complex. I understand all of that. Uh, but, but the problem of sin is still very basic. Let me show you this. Go back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. God has created everything. He's created Adam and Eve now. And, and, and then he has told Adam and Eve, take care of the garden, this garden of Eden they've been put in. He says, you, you can eat of any tree of the garden. You can, you, can, you can take part in anything in the garden. Just don't eat the fruit of this one tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't just don't touch that one. Leave that one alone. So chapter 3, verse 1. So chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1, reads like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Here, here, here Here's what's going on. The devil is going to come at what God has said, but he's not going to say, well, God's wrong and you need to disobey him. That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, did you understand him right? Are you sure you got that theology right? Are you sure you got that doctrine right? Are you sure you understand this properly? Maybe you don't quite get it. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Then the serpent asked another question. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Are you really think you're going to die? Are you, are you so caught up in your religion and your fairy tales and your little theology that you actually think this is what's going to happen? He's questioning again. He's questioning first, do you understand God's will? Then he's questioning her courage. Do you really think God's going to do this? For God knows when you eat of it, now he's going to question God's goodness. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see this? He's saying to her, maybe you don't fully understand God. Maybe you're not brave enough. Dare you? Double dog dare you? And then he's saying, well, maybe God's just not good. And maybe he's afraid you're actually going to figure out what he already knows. Maybe, maybe just maybe if you do this thing, you will be smarter, you'll be better, you'll be, you'll be stronger, you'll be like God. So when the woman saw, after she listened to all these arguments, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing the eye, it looked like it tasted good and it looked like it was going to feel good and also desirable for gaining wisdom. It was going to do something for her and make her better. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, I got to be honest, a lot of people pick on Eve as if, you know, the woman is the one who ate the fruit and messed everything up. Well, hold up. Adam was standing right there and I don't read anywhere here where Adam said, yo, Eve, stop, don't do that. 
And when she offered him some of it, he took it and ate it too. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. They began to have shame. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I need you to understand that the basic process of sin is not different today than it is right here. So when we when we violate what God says, when we go against what God says, we're doing that because we think maybe we didn't understand it right. If we could just if we could just define the words differently. In fact, can I be honest? I had a friend recently who said in, in, in American culture, the problem is we're all still using the same vocabulary, the same words, but we're not using the same dictionary. Some people have changed the meanings of words. Therefore, words don't mean the same thing today that they used to. And when, and when a word changes meaning and one culture, one part of culture, one person doesn't understand that change, you can be talking to people and thinking you're agreeing when in fact you're saying opposite things. And so God, God, one of the reasons we violate God's word, one, one of the reasons we go against God is because we say, is that really what that word means? Is that really what this thing is about? Or we say to ourselves, it's not really all that bad. I mean, one time I ain't going to kill you. You know, we start down that road. Or in the end, we say, you know, we want to be as smart as God anyway, so we need to experience all these things. We want to touch and feel and t- and, and, and experience the whole world, everything about every good, bad, and ugly. We want to do it all, and all of a sudden, we want to be God, and we make ourselves our own God. And all it does is it reveals the emptiness and the shame inside of our lives. It says then, if we go on to verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, remember that God would come every day and they would take a walk with God in the afternoon in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The first thing I want you to know about sin is that sin separates us. Sin separates us first and foremost from God, but sin will separate us from each other. Sins that are given into, that become habitual or become addictive, can separate families, can separate marriages, can separate companies, can separate, can separate you from your work or from your employment or from your career. It can separate you from all kinds of things. Deciding that you are smarter than, you are better than, or you deserve to experience this, that, or the other thing, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says, making that decision separates you from other people. And I don't mean that in a good sense. I don't mean sets you apart. I mean cuts you off because this separated them from God. They were supposed to take a walk with God in the cool of the day, and they could not do that because their shame had overcome them. In, in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul takes up the same thought. Chapter 6, verse 19, he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, to sin, and to ever-increasing wickedness to sin. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But here's the problem. Righteousness, when it controls us, sets us free in our lives to have deep relationships, to have a good life, to not be sick, to not cause disease, to not bring pain into our lives. 
But when we, when we surrender ourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, we break relationships. We break our lives. We cause diseases. We cause pain. When we give in to ever-increasing wickedness or we give in to an addiction or we give in to some type of habit, we begin to bring disease into our bodies. We begin to break ourselves, and it causes us to be enslaved. I sat one time beside a man when I was young in ministry, and he was, honestly, he was in the hospital dying. And I sat there, and he's one of the, one of the greatest guys I knew. His name was Whitey. And I said, I said, Whitey, I'm sorry this is happening. And he looked at me. He looked at me kind of puzzled. And he said, Pastor, there's no reason for you to be sorry about this. He, looked, he just looked me straight in the eye and said, I did this to myself. He said, I refuse to put down the Chesterfields, and here I sit. He was dying of lung cancer because he refused to quit smoking. The habit he gave into, because he had every right to smoke. He had, you know, if that's what made him feel better, he should do it. He, he was in charge of his own life. All of those things are true. But because he gave into that habit, it brought disease into his body and ultimately enslaved him and took away a lot of the strength of his last years and then ultimately cut his life short. It enslaves us. Sin will do that. Sin is perfectly designed to take you captive and then destroy you. He, he goes on, the Apostle Paul goes on, verse 21 of chapter 6 of Romans. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. You see, sin separates us, sin enslaves us, and sin shames us. Adam and Eve in the garden, they went and they hid when they heard God in the garden. Why? Because they realized they were naked. Nothing had changed from the day before to this day, except the fact they realized that what they were was not sufficient. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did to them. And they realized somehow that they were unclean, and in their unclean state, they felt shame for the first time. Listen to me. Sin will cause you shame in your life. It will bring shame into your life. When you do certain things, you might say, well, I have every right to do that. I have every right to do this. I have every right to do that. I have every right to feel this. I have every right to feel that. But then all of a sudden, when people see that that's what you're doing, you're overtaken by shame. You realize that what you have done, whether you want to admit it or not, people who refuse to admit that what they did was wrong, they still feel the shame of having done it. And the truth is, shame itself will enslave us. In fact, can I be honest? The sin that separates us from God is what causes shame in the first place. We are enslaved then by that sin, and then it further shames us because now not only did we do it, we can't seem to get away from it. And the truth is, it brings into, look, I mean, there's nothing positive brought into our lives. Nothing positive has been brought into our lives by sin. Listen, let me be very honest. In our culture, in our current culture, we have redefined the word sin to mean fun. I'm going to go have a wild weekend. Well, what that means in real definition, in real terms, is I'm going to go do things that God would not want me to do, that I don't want God to watch me do, and that I know are going to hurt me and 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 alter my life. How many times have you been to the beach and walked through a t-shirt shop and seen the t-shirt that said, shut up liver, you're fine. I mean, you see what I'm saying? 
The truth is we give in to things that are destroying us. And listen to me, the sin that entangles us is perfectly designed to destroy us and ultimately kill us. The things that we have defined as fun in this culture, all the things we've defined as partying in this culture are designed to enslave us, to trap us, and ultimately to kill us. Sin is perfectly designed to kill you. It causes separation from God. It it causes enslavement in the sin and in the habit and in the addiction that we find ourselves in, and it causes shame. It will separate us. You remember last week's sermon where we talked about we need to be in community? This, This sin that enslaves us and causes us shame will cause us to break away from the community and go back out to being by ourselves. It will destroy our community. That If I take this backward, sin shames us and then enslaves us and then separates us from the people who make us better. That's precisely what sin does in our lives, and it is ultimately the end issue. You say, Pastor, you're going down to whether or not I party on the weekends, and yet you're saying sin is the problem with society in general. Sin didn't cause entire nations to starve. Actually, it did. Because in the end, what I'm talking about is I deserve to have this. I deserve to have that. I deserve to experience this. I deserve to experience that. All of that, if you are a leader, especially if you are the dictator of a nation, all of that causes you to draw things to yourself, power, greed, wealth, everything to yourself, and then not leave enough for anybody else. And if anybody gets in your way, you just starve them out. I give you Stalin. I give you Mao. I give you Pol Pot. Go look them up. The truth is that that sin is what causes all of this. Let's be very honest. One nation, the United States, could likely grow enough food if we organized it and distributed it properly. We could likely grow enough food to feed the vast majority of the planet. The reason the food's not getting to people is not because it can't be produced. It's because there are unfair and deadly forms of structure and organization that are breaking people and hurting them. And that's caused by sin. But let me read the next verses, the next two verses in Romans chapter 6. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life, not death. For the wages of sin is death. It will kill you. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. Yes, it's true. Sin separates sin enslaves, and sin shames. But spoiler alert, I need to tell you something. In the face of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, sin loses. Christ wins. But you have to surrender to him. You got to decide you want his deliverance more than you want your party. You got to decide that you want his presence more than you want the world's power. You've got to decide that you want his wisdom more than you want the world's wealth. You've got to decide that you're going to surrender to the God who will make you better instead of the sin that's going to destroy you. I wonder, what are you going to choose today? You can choose either one. God gives you free will. But let me, let me beg you. I'll just beg you. Choose God. Choose Jesus. Choose righteousness and choose life. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would speak into every single person's life that is hearing this, 
that you, Lord, would dig around and you would, you would, you would show us, Lord, the areas where we have given in to sin and we've given in to this lack of righteousness, this lack of forgiveness from you. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to admit. Admit that we need you to forgive that sin. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us believe that you can and will forgive that sin. And Lord, help us to ask for your forgiveness and then commit. Commit our lives from this day forward to living for you. You desire to forgive all of us. Now, Lord, let us just ask. And Lord, for your forgiveness, we will give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. We hope that this resource helped you in your journey towards loving God and loving people better every day. If you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends. Lastly, we just wanted to give a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. If you'd like to learn more about how to partner with us financially, just click give for more information. We appreciate anything you can do to help. Thanks for being a member of our online family. We love serving Jesus with you.